Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Loveland Public Library would like to welcome you to the second installment of Black America Unchained. Join us as we continue to commemorate Black history through this audio series created by Michael Anthony Tatman and Ms. Deborah Tatman. Here is Episode 2. Episode 2. The Emancipation. Robbing us of our culture, history, language, and identity. The ripping apart of family units and royal bloodlines the absolute and complete torment of our fathers and mothers before us. The Middle Passage was a devastating event culminating into the displacement and death for millions of African descent and their descendants around the world. This left them dehumanized, constantly seeking the freedom that humanity was supposed to provide. We have been pinned as being docile, complacent, and submissive in our pain. The Nat Turner Revolt, it was a terrible thing because it happened to white families. Consequently, people from all over the South was enraged, and it is suspected that this incident was one of the reasons that the search for fugitive slaves was really tightened up. In a law that was passed called the Compromise of 1850, which made it illegal to help people of color or slaves, but it also provided in that law that the slave trade would be outlawed in the district. Not slavery. Slavery was not outlawed until 1862. But it was at least a recognition that there was, in the United States, a growing opposition to the institution of slavery. Frederick Douglass, on July 5, 1852, in Rochester, New York, He addressed the Rochester Ladies Anti-Slavery Society, which was one of his most famous speeches. What to the slave is that 4th of July? Frederick Douglass was once a slave and became a brilliant leader in the anti-slavery movement. In 1852, he was asked to speak in celebration of the 4th of July. My fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask why I am called upon to speak here today. What have I, on those that I represent, have to do with your National Day of Independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and confess the benefits and express the devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that has brought healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. The 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters 
in the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to you in joyous anthems were in human mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean citizens to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impotence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns and sermons and thanksgiving with all of your religious parades and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impropriety, hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up the crimes that would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, if I had the ability to reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke, for it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder we need. The storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake, the feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. When the president of the United States issued the Emancipation Proclamation, it wasn't something that had an effect in the South because it was more aspirational and it was more strategic. President Lincoln was trying to increase the number of freed slaves, but the Emancipation Proclamation did very little in terms of freeing slaves at the time it was issued in 1863. And finally in 1865, when General Lee surrendered to General Grant in Virginia, we begin to see in the South a real movement towards the freeing of slaves. Between 1876 and 1896, there was a back and forth issue on how much equality under the law would be allowed. White folks generally wanted no equality for African Americans and black folks generally wanted their full citizenship, their rights that they were entitled to under the new Reconstruction Amendments. The fight went on undecided until a case went before the United States Supreme Court, that case we now remember as Plessy versus Ferguson. Plessy versus Ferguson was a Supreme Court case in 1896 involving an African-American man named Homer Plessy. It took place in Louisiana, and Homer Plessy sat in a white-only railroad car. In Louisiana, this railroad company had separate cars for whites and blacks. So he sits in the white-only car and refuses to leave. And the case gets to the U.S. Supreme Court 
and the Supreme Court decided that it did not violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So they decided that as long as you have equal facilities, and they were anything but equal in the South, as long as you had equal facilities, it was okay to separate the races. It allowed the Southern states to give full bloom to their Jim Crow laws. They were designed to make African-Americans second-class citizens. Some of these memories are reflected in the words of Len Ray Gandhi, 1950. I was 10 when we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. My dad was sent there to, to build a church. When you move a lot, you're always the new family on the block. Our community was not well kept. There was litter on the streets. It was hot, and we had to adjust to that. And then we began to see all of these signs. And I thought, this is craziness. Our parents then had to educate us on what we should do and what we should not do to be sure that we behaved in certain ways and that there was a different world, black and white world. If we walked down the road and a white man was coming towards us to look down on the ground, if a white woman is walking on the same sidewalk, we had to walk out on the street. We couldn't ride in the front of the buses. We couldn't use certain facilities, restrooms, in different places around town. And if we wanted to go and buy a pair of shoes, they could only hold the shoe up. We couldn't try them on. We couldn't try on clothes or caps. Imagine living in a society somewhere where blacks and whites can't even talk, can't even work together. Imagine that. We shall overcome. We shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. For 100 years, Jim Crow laws oppressed free African Americans. Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas brought about a change. Thurgood Marshall led the charge that argued that segregation violated the 14th Amendment. He argues, can schools really be equal if the students are separated solely on race? The U.S. Supreme Court was divided. Chief Justice Warren wrote and rewrote the court's decision to achieve a unanimous decision. He chose to focus on not the school's equality. He wrote, we must look at the effect of segregation on public education. He also wrote, Separating students based on race generates a feeling of inferiority. The United States Supreme Court, 1953. The voice of a new generation of African Americans began to speak in such a way America had never heard. It was the beginning of a new energy for African Americans. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.